We're going to pick it up in verse 40. And I want to jump right in. Uh, this is a... I, I want you to know how much I, I love that we get to do this. I love that we get to be in, his, in God's Word and expect Him to speak. And, and as we prepare now for this area where God finally brings the rain... three and a half years now. Think about where you were three and a half years ago. How different things were three and a half years ago. Some of you, I mean, I, I realize things have happened so radically within the last year or so. Three and a half years ago, it was like such a dead person, you don't even remember what that was like. And that, we use this term glorious forgetfulness. You know, that's where uh, you just can't remember things that you probably shouldn't remember anyways. Suzanne and I joke about the fact that God grants us with the gift of, of that. We, we never argue, and one of the reasons we never argue is when we actually get time to argue, we can't even remember what we would have argued about in the first place. So uh, It's not just that we're so spirit-filled. Um, we, are, we left off at a battle, I remind you, and at the end of the battle, Elijah calls the bluff. And so let's go to the Lord right in prayer. Let's dig into this. And I'm just so excited about this. I do want to say quickly that um, we are looking, we're solidifying the details for the Israel trip uh, in December of next year. That's going to be a very exciting thing to be able to spend some time for those of you who want to kind of do that craziness with us. Um, don't forget about the 3rd of December. Uh, the 3rd of December, we are celebrating, we're calling it, we're calling the day All Things New Sunday. And on All Things New, we're watching uh, after church, Adam and Angel renew their vows which uh, now you know who that is. And um, also then after that, we're going to have an international uh, Thanksgiving meal. We're going to be thankful for all things new. And what that you get to do is bring something from where you came from. And, uh, and it may not be new to you. It'll just be new to someone else like me. So uh, please do that because I would love to eat your food. And it's just a great way of fellowship. So we're, that night will not be a Jesus night. We're going to take that time there. And God willing, if we have the time, we may just spend some time worshiping uh, there in our cool little octagon room and that kind of thing. So, And that's always nicer because we get, uh, you know, there's like all kinds of toys in there for you guys to shake around, little rattles and tambourines and stuff so you can join in the fun. <laughs> anyway, so uh, let's let's go to the Lord in prayer. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you so much for this final portion of this chapter and what it is you want to speak to us. And I pray that it would be so meaningful, that it would be so right on for each of us, and that we would get what we're supposed to get from this. So, Lord, immerse me in your Holy Spirit. Fill me to overflowing and make this this night, Lord, a night we never forget, that we commune with you and we experience you in ways that aren't just so that we can, that we're not the end of it, but that we are the conduit, that you would fill us to overflowing, that we could spill you all over everyone near us in let tonight be a radical, radical night for that. So please, Lord, blindside us with this, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's say tonight is that would any please don't just believe me. Don't just assume that what I'm saying is the truth. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible have the final say. I'm going to do something a little different at the end of this. Uh, what I'm going to ask uh, Dan to do in front of all of you, because it's harder for him to say no if I'm asking in front, is that once I've finished the study, I'm going to have Dan finish in prayer tonight. And the reason for that is that, um, as you're probably aware of, that I'm heading to California for the next two and a half weeks. Uh, and I will be returning literally three weeks from today. 
but I will be re- I'll be returning too late to actually make it to the study. Um, although I'd really love to come early and just show up for Dan, but then it would be fairly likely I would just pass out in front of him, and that would be kind of really. I don't think that would be very encouraging to Dan. So, nonetheless. And so um, I just want to be able to sort of hand the keys to Dan and say, Dan, go get him. And I know you're in excellent hands. Dan loves you guys. He prays for you as I do. And uh, he just and he's a wonderful Bible teacher. So uh, with that said, here we are. First Kings chapter 18, verse 40. Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. And so they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. Now, if that's the case, that's 400 people for a guy to kill. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever really thought about what that would be like? That's a lot of work for a prophet. We do not read that, that he was necessarily a really, really big guy or anything like that. But the only reason I say that is, is that it's weird to think of that as any some form of mercy because understand the battle we just saw there was a battle that God had been making for years. And that, that's something I don't want you to miss. Because I think we'd all love, I'd like to think, we would all love that kind of boldness. We'd like that kind of chutzpah, that kind of unwavering faith to stand and call the bluff of all of these posers and counterfeits out there and say, no, 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 my God will show himself real you guys are going to just be dancing around and cutting yourselves until you practically bleed to death. And that's okay because we're going to kill you anyways. So, and the reason I say that is, is imagine to have that strength, but God has been working on him for three and a half years at least because that's the part he actually gives us insight into. The part before that we really don't get much about. When he sort of shows up on the scene, he was kind of unannounced. He just kind of showed up and kind of punched the king in the face verbally and ran off. And we really didn't see him coming unless you've read before and you know he's, he's showing up. And the reason I say that is, is that if we go into our text tonight, I don't want you to think that this was just something he woke up one day and just boom, he did. And the reason I say that is for each one of us, you and me together, God is going to be doing this in our lives too. He wants this. Now look at, we look at those moments and you know, you, you watch, you know, you watch the football match and just at that key integral moment, the guy just kicks it right into the corner and you just know and you go, wow, man, I'd love to be that guy at that moment. But you know that that guy at that moment behind that guy have been years and years and years of practice. Uh, and first of all, individually to hone his craft and his skills, but then also practice among his own teammates so that that play could be set up and they kind of know. And the reason I say that is, is that we can look at that scripturally and go, what would it be like to take this kind of stand and watch God do this kind of thing and go, wow, wouldn't it just be good to wake up and just God go, all right, Adam, it's your turn now. And Adam just shows up and goes, all right, you guys, it's time to make up your minds. And you realize that he's been prepping for this. And understand, before God fashioned the challenge, God fashioned the man first. He had been, I remind you, he was brought to the brook Kerit, which means the place of carving or chiseling, where he had to learn how to rely on God to provide for every necessity and the necessity of being quiet to listen again. Because Elijah's power will always be greatest in his ears. Let me say that again. Elijah's power will always be greatest in his ears. He is a man who, in chapter 17... We read, you know, the word of the Lord came to him when he actually stood there. It says he went out and did according to the word of the Lord. And he went and stayed at the Brokadit. That's 17.5, 17.8. Then the word of the Lord came to him again. Hold on. 
excuse me. And then in chapter 17, verse 16, it says the bin of flour was not used up, the jar of oil not dry, according to the word of the Lord. 17, verse 24, the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth is the truth. He is a man who has been listening from the beginning. He shows up to stand against the king the first time on a quick kind of drive-by a prophecy, if you will. And it's like he did it listening. And God said, get out, and he listened, and he left. And then after that, God says, all right, now you're going to go to the Brook Hadith. He goes to the Brook Hadith, and he listens until the next time. Then God says, all right, now you're going to leave there and go to Sidon, the home of Jezebel and her psychotic dad, who happens to be the king, and a widow is going to provide for you there from Sidon. And he goes. And then while he's there, he acts upon God's word, and finally God says, it's time to come down. It's time to make this happen. And he comes down, and then all of that, from the chiseling of the brokerite to the crucible of Zarephath up in Sidon, and that's what God's been doing. He's been chiseling away the stuff that just can't reconcile, the stuff that's on the outside that really just doesn't play. And then he puts us in the fire so the stuff that really is kind of diluted becomes pure. And God wants to do that in your life and in my life. And we fight him over these things because these are uncomfortable and unpleasant moments. But the product is so worth it. It's better than going to the dentist. And normally for many, it takes really severe pain for you to go to the dentist in the first place. And for whatever reason, I don't know, every dentist I've ever been to, it's like it seems to me like surgeons can now operate from their iPhone without touching you, but you walk into a dentist's office and they still got like the pliers and the drill. I don't know how that works. And for whatever reason, that drill always makes its, the sound of it always makes its way into the waiting room. Am I the only one that gets that? You're kind of sitting there and you're, and you're like, that's, oh, that's an implement of torture is what that is. But you get so miserable that you finally get to the place, all right, fix this thing. I remember when Shantae was, you know, still being carried by Suzanne. And God had made Suzanne so miserable in those last couple weeks because this baby was, was ready to come out. Suzanne finally got so miserable. She's like, okay, finally, I'll approach the fear of having this baby because I'm just at the point now where I'm just too miserable. This thing's got to come out of me sooner or later. And the reason I say that is, is that sooner or later, these things are going to happen to you. God is going to, and God will use, I mean, the moment you said yes to Jesus, he threw you on his, in his workbench and he put you in that beautiful vice grip and you just started grinding away at parts that just really will never be Christian. And let me just put it in the simplest sense. The Bible uses the terms in the flesh and in the spirit. And we can get fancy and, and, and esoteric about it, but let me just put it in its simplest sense. The flesh mindset is just me first. That's it. It's just me first. That's why he says that the mind that is carnal, the fleshly mind, is at enmity against God in Romans. In other words, what he's telling us is, is that if you want to put you first in your life, you're going to actually declare war on God by doing that. And he actually says, those who are in the flesh can't please God. Because ultimately we hand our life over and go, you know, you first. Now, Elijah's in a place where he is being chiseled. He has been chiseled. He's been in the crucible. And God's going to do that with you as well. You, you, you put yourself in that, all right, Lord, have my life. And he starts chiseling away at that stuff. And you're like, that stuff was really cool. And God's like, but it, it's not you have no idea how good it's going to be once I get rid of this. 
And then he sticks you in the fire, which Peter tells us is the fiery trials. James tells us as well. These are trials that your faith of greater value than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, would be proven genuine and result in praise, honor, and glory when Christ is revealed. He's like, he puts you in these challenges so that you actually stop trusting in trust, but you actually start trusting in him. And we don't have our faith anymore in some specific prayer or some specific denomination or non-denomination or some specific whatever. Our faith in Jesus, that's the one person that we know is perfect. That's the one thing we know is perfect. And everything else, well, we learn to trust and pray. So he goes to the carving, he goes to the crucible, and then he goes to the challenge. But God then also fashioned the, the means, I want to remind you. They called Baal's bluff by giving him every advantage in his confrontation. The sight, the animal, the method, all advantaged Baal, if he were real. The fire, this I think was really interesting as Elijah goes now into the rest of this. Think of where Elijah could have called the fire. God could have called the fire on all of the people who have been worshiping Baal. He could have called the fire on the priests and on the king and on Jezebel. But he didn't. The fire was only on the sacrifice, which was proof that the sacrifice was acceptable and that God was alive or God is alive. And he showed his great mercy in that because he really could have just burned everybody and started over. The only thing that actually wound up dying in the end was the cancer that was leading the people away from God. Even the king wasn't killed. Now what would it be like if God were to pour forth his reign like we're looking at here in verse 41? That place of overflow. Please hear me on this, and we'll get into this text, and it really rolls pretty quickly. There's only a handful of verses to look at. And there's even some like bionic man stuff going on. So there's some really cool things going on. Scripturally, here is the here is the sort of walk. We recognize that we really aren't all that and that we need saving and we cry out to the living God who sent his son Jesus to pay for their price on the cross so that all of that could be punished without having to punish us eternally for it. And we say, yeah, I'll gladly take that. But to do that, Jesus says, there's a deal here, and part and parcel with that is my lordship. I don't want to just save you from that and then throw you back in the water to drown again. So we hand our life over to him, and he begins to work by pouring his Holy Spirit into us. According to the book of Ephesians 1.13, from the moment you say yes to Jesus, God poured his Holy Spirit into you. His presence, his personality, his power. And as God poured his Holy Spirit into you, just like he did me, this work begins of making you different, transforming you from the inside out. The fancy term is sanctification, and all that means is setting you apart. I mean, the moment you said yes to Jesus, you were set apart because you're his, but now your behavior and your priorities and your mindset start to change. Things really start to change. And, and if you don't know that, then what happens is it gets a little weird, doesn't it? Because all of a sudden, those things that were so fun are no longer fun anymore, and the stuff you valued so much, now it's not really so valuable anymore, and you don't even know what happened. You're like, what in the world's wrong with me? How is that not fun anymore? Or why, why don't I like that anymore? And all of a sudden, you get even weirder because you really start to develop an appetite for God's Word. And you sit and you listen to a numbskull like me talk for an hour about the Word, and you're like, yeah, and you keep coming back. That says something. 
And you couldn't have imagined doing this before. Sitting in a room like this on a Tuesday night for a couple hours singing praises to God and praying with strangers around a table and then opening God's Word and you're like, that was the most amazing Halloween I've ever had. I think your costumes are awesome, by the way. I think you guys look really great. You look like Christians. Anyways, so... And so God starts this process of changing you from the inside out. Now understand, God is not a God of knots. He's a God of instead of. He is a God who doesn't just remove, he replaces. So for everything that he starts to pull out, he puts something else in its place. Again, you used to want to go and get high, and now you're actually interested in actually filling your brain with the scriptures. How weird is that? You used to run around and go and have sex with everybody, and now here you are being faithful, and now here you are wanting to be pure, and you really realize, now this is an amazing different world. And as God continues to do that, he starts to transform you from the inside, but then something else starts to happen. He starts to put a love in your heart for people. Specifically, by the way, my, I say his family, those who have already said yes to Jesus. Jesus made clear that if we're going to look and see what it really looks like for somebody whose heart really has been seized by Jesus, what we really should see is them love one another. And I remind you, love, in the simplest sense, is the opposite of the flesh nature. The flesh nature that says, me first. Now love says, no, 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 you first. And we start wanting to serve people. We start looking for needs and seeing how we can help meet them. That's a very weird world. Before that, we started looking for our own needs, and then we tried to find other people to meet them. Now here we are looking at other people for their needs and seeking to how to be an answer to that, a part of the solution. But somewhere down the line in all of that, you get the desire to this. And, and if you're like me, because I'm kind of a just go for it kind of guy, you get to this place where you're just trying, but you try to do it in your own personal strength. And you get exhausted because you're really trying to help meet every need and you're trying to be available in every way and you, you want to be there to love and to take it and not fire back when that kind of thing happens. But on the same thing, then the, the same day, that same person may flip and actually need help and you want to be there to help them. And, and you're like, they're trying to do all of this and you find yourself so depleted when you try to do it in your own strength and you're like, I'm just going to buck up. And then you realize somewhere down the line, God tells us there's a difference. That same Holy Spirit that's doing all that work inside of us, God wants to overflow. When Jesus said, you come into me thirsty, but believe in me, he didn't just say, I will just pour that water in you. You wouldn't be thirsty anymore. He said that ultimately, that that water would spring up into a well or a fountain of eternal life. Now understand, he didn't just say, okay, I'm going to just boom, and then whoop, you're a fountain. He's like, I'm going to pour that water in you, and that water is going to well up. That's a process. As it grows, and ultimately you find yourself at this crazy place of overflow. And when you're in a place of overflow, service is so much fun. Because now it's like I've just got all this energy and I've got to do something with it. And I love you. And so I just want to love you in this action. And that overflow is like what we're looking at with the rain here. Because the ground has been dry for three and a half years. But the worst is, if you've ever been in a state of overflow... And then you started filling those spots with dumb things again, and now you're not. So what does he do? He grabs the chisel again. That chisel may be a person that God puts in your life, or a position, or a job, or an illness. Something to chisel away so you'll rely on him again. 
And then they'll start putting you in the fire and put you in some trial to kind of melt things out again and, and get that impurity out of you so that you can be back at that place. I mean, it's kind of like the Christian sauna, if that makes sense. You sweat out your impurities. And sometimes it's just rough and sometimes it's real rough. But the end product is you're back at the place where you need to be where God could pour forth His rain. The real question is, would it be worth it? Do you really want it? The question isn't just, you know, well, I really don't want these things to happen, but if they have to happen, the question is, would it be worth it if all of this brought forth a place where you were so overflowing that doing the things of God were second nature or first nature? Scripture was coming out of your mouth. And the person that used to dread that you would have strangled yesterday, now you genuinely have compassion for. And forgiveness is issued to a person you never thought you could forgive. You realize those kind of things happen in the state of overflow. And when God is promising rain here, and Elijah said, it's not going to happen until I say so, but it is going to happen. You just have to wait for me to say so. Well, the first thing that happened is that he had to get rid of all that nonsense, counterfeit worship garbage. Isn't that what he had to do? He had to prove that the other things you could rely on were false and phony and counterfeit and just posers. And once that got removed and clearly you couldn't go back to, now we can pour forth the rain. What God does not want to do is see you rely on something other than Him and then fortify that. It would be like a husband seeing his wife veer to someone else and doing everything he can to encourage her to go fall in love somewhere else. Now that kind of guy would start to question the loyalty and passion of the heart of the husband. And God doesn't want to do that. What He wants is our hearts to be pure and to laying on Him and relying on Him and enjoying Him and turning it to Him. And then God says, now let me pour forth that overflow because in love for me first, you'll start loving that's mine. And that's what He's saying. So Elijah here now in verse 41 said to Ahaz, that's the king I remind you, go up and eat and drink for there is the sound of abundance of rain. Don't miss that. What he's telling us is, and I remind you, Elijah's the prophet who listens. He hears rain. He doesn't see it. It isn't like, oh, my knee is creaking. It's probably going to rain today, you know, or it smells wet. I mean, they have all kinds of friends who are like, they're all kind of weathermen. You ever those kind of people? They're like, I don't know. It's like my knee hurts. It's going to rain or, you know, that kind of thing. And I've had, I have somebody that literally, I just, it's like smelling's their thing. I smell rain. I'm like, oh, okay. Here on the train, you smell right. Okay. I smell body odor, but that's also another liquid. Just want to make it clear. It's, there's water involved. But, but just hear me on this. It's like Elijah is listening, and he's listening, and God starts. Now, what would that sound like? Well, I mean, imagine, you know, it's like, to me, it's like if rain isn't properly mic'd, it sounds like bacon cooking. So, and that would be not good for a Jewish guy. But for me, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. But imagine he's like, I hear rain. Rain's coming. And as long as Elijah is listening, willing to listen, he's going to be on fire in the right ways. But let's be honest. You know what it's like to be in a relationship where you're really not at the moment willing to listen, and you know that means your heart's not in the right place. But Elijah's listening. He's listening and he hears not just rain coming, but notice it says there's the sound of the abundance of rain. What does abundance mean? Yeah, more than you need. There's going to be an overflow. I want to let you know, I hear 
water coming more than you'll ever need. And what's amazing is, I remind you, three and a half years, I remind you, Saul went out looking for stuff so that his, his cattle didn't die, so that his horses and his mules and donkeys didn't die. While everyone else is starving to death, everyone's going to be able to eat now and they're certainly going to be able to drink. So Elijah looks now. Look at Elijah's like, okay, imagine Elijah's just because look at, I reminded you there wasn't going to be any rain until I said so. Get all of your phony prophets and let's deal with this thing. And then he does. And imagine what it would be like for the king to watch Elijah kill 400 prophets. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe they were fat and slow. They were blind. What, how? There's, I mean, you would think, what are the odds of all 400 not getting away? Unless you've got a whole bunch of people standing. And it's like, I would not. I mean, imagine what the prophets were like looking and going, oh, man, I'm going to die from this guy. And he's got the real God. Now, I don't know if you think about if you've thought about this. I think this is actually a weird mercy. Because somewhere down the line, Elijah didn't kill a single prophet of Baal until every one of them became clear and obvious, or became clear and obvious to every one of them, that their God was phony. So they had a chance to swap allegiances before they actually stood before that God. Well, anyways, I'm not telling you you need to go and kill people and hope that they'll convert right before you do, so kill them slowly. I'm just telling you there's a mercy in that. So, Achav now, it says, you know, he's been told, hey, get up now. Now that we've taken care of that, now we've gotten rid of that, now it's time for the rain. You need to realize this has been in your house, man. This, because of your wife, has been in your house. This needs to be out of your house because God wants rain, but he wants your house clean first. And so this stuff's out now, so let's bring the rain. Get up and eat because you're going to need it. Verse 42, Ahab went up and ate and drank. To eat and drink. And Elijah went up to eat and drink. And Elijah went to the top of Carmel. Now, I remind you, the top of Carmel was supposed to be Baal territory, but what's clear is it's clearly not. You know, and so he's like, all right, play Baal. So Elijah went up to the top of Carmel and then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees. Can anyone kind of picture what that looks like? Does anyone want to try to show me what that looks like? So, I mean, can I just, can I just, like, you know, I'm not trying to be weird. But imagine, you give him an assistant. You'll see that ultimately the guy that Elijah hands the, the, the mantle over to is going to be a prophet who sees. And you're going to find out that it's going to be about his eyes. But eyes don't come first. They come second. They will see, but it comes first with a guy that's listening. So imagine, he turns and he tells Ahab, and now he's going to turn to his assistant. And he goes, no, the rain's coming. And he's like, how do you know? And he goes like this. Yep, yep, rain's coming. Rain's coming. Now, don't miss that. Because he is in a position where he can't see anything. You're aware of that. I mean, it isn't like he's like, how do you know rain's coming? Uh, rain. Because he's not just covering his eyes because you all know that that can happen and you can peek. You've all done that. you know. But he's in a position which is so obviously he can't see anything. And I love the fact that sometimes God does this so you can hear better. But notice the, con- the conviction of Elijah in this. He bows down to the ground. He puts his face between his knees because Elijah still has more work to do. See, understand, it's more than just the prophets of Baal and it's more than just the king. He's got a student he's training. He's raising up a guy. And understand, his program isn't just, here's going to be our thing and we're going to go through this book. Not that that's bad. It's awesome. But there needs to be more. There needs to be lifestyle. This guy's following Elijah around and going, man, that's what I want. I want that life. And Elijah goes, okay, well, you want that life? Check this out. And he curls into a ball in front of him. Which, by the way, also tells me that... Now, just 
if you can try it for a moment from where you're sitting, just try to put your head between your knees. The reason I said that is Elijah must have been skinny. Because let's face it, a big guy cannot get his head between his knees when he's on them. I'm just trying to be honest here. I mean, it's, it's not easy for me. I've realized I'm not that fat. I keep telling my wife, and this proves it. But getting that far and curling to where his head's between his knees and he's on them, there's not a lot in between that to stop him. And Elijah says, looking for the rain in the dark. John would say in 1 John 1, 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have looked upon with our eyes, which our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Oh, that was manifest. And we've seen it, we heard it, and we declare it to you. He goes, listen, that life that was manifested, we declare it to you because what we really want from you is to have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes, I write this so that your joy would be full. That idea, again, of abundance. John started the first John epistle with, I heard God, and then I saw God, and then I inspected God, and then I touched God. Do you realize how crazy that is? Because that's what I got to do. He goes, I'm going to write this down because I want you to share that with me. I want you to experience that with me. But it starts with our ears. It's supposed to. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 1 1. Substance, upastasis. It literally means to set under the support. It is the support to set under the things that you would hope for and the evidence. And then, proof, the conviction of things not seen. So Elijah curls down in a ball. He's got his servant next to him because he's still at work. Verse 43, he says to his servant, now go up now and look toward the sea. So his servant goes up and looks towards the sea. And I remind you at the top of Carmel, which by the way, it's not that, it's a great perspective to see the sea from. And And his servant goes, there's nothing. Notice the end of verse 43. And seven Times he said, go again. Could you imagine? How many times? I mean, we're talking about a mountain here, so you're kind of climbing up and down this thing, right? He's like, I hear rain. Go check. Nope, nothing. Hmm. Go check now. No, nothing. Huh, well... How about now? That's three. Now, I don't know how long it's going to take the guy to walk somewhere and come back, but what kind of servant, how would you respond if you were the servant? Nope. Still no rain. Are you sure you heard right? Oh, there's no problem with my hearing. Go look again. Problem's your eyes. No way. All right. Fourth time. This is just madness. And you come back and... Guess what? Nothing. Huh. Well, okay, hold on. Okay, now go. Fifth time. (sighs) Nothing. Now, let's face it. You ever look for something and then you tell your parents you can't find it and then they give you this line, look harder. How do you look harder? You're like, 
No, still don't see it. Versus, you know, have you tried lifting things up and looking around them? You know, anyways. But imagine he's trying to look harder. You know, you're kind of staring out into the blue. Now that tells us it's a sunny, beautiful day, which let's be honest here, that's a little bit more of a fantasy. But not a cloud in the sky. And he's like, I don't see any. It's blue everywhere. Blue, 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 blue. He comes back and he's like, guess what? I see blue. And he's like, okay, uh, well, what was this? Number five, go again. Why? Because I hear rain. It hasn't stopped. He's like, are you sure you're not just hearing the blood that's now going to your head because you're curled up in a ball with your head between your knees? Just go. All right. God, will you show me something? Because I'm seeing sky. Sorry, Elijah. Maybe... Maybe like because you're a prophet, like you're seeing into the future. It's like, look at, go again. I've been six times. Yeah, yeah. Go again. All right, you say so. Hey, guess what? There's a cloud, but it's like small as a man's hand rising up out of the sea. Like, oh, guess what? You saw something. Ultimately, Elijah will hand Eliyahu, will hand the mantle over to a guy named Elishama, which is ironic only because his name means God who hears, Shema. <laughs> uh, and he's the one who sees. And it'll be really fun to watch that guy in action. He'll actually do more miracles than Elijah will. Uh, he, that guy's just, man, he, that guy's just, a, he's a bag of tricks. And in Second Kings, when we get there, chapter 6, it's like the, this Elisha, the second guy, this the guy that's going to take the, you know, that's going to be the sequel. He's going to be basically kind of napping out, and he's got a servant. And he looks out, and he sees the serious surrounding them. And he kind of, you can imagine, he kind of wakes up. He's like, oh, we're surrounded. And you can imagine Elisha, on the other hand, he kind of wakes up, he's kind of grumpy, and he's like, oh, would you just open his eyes so he can see? And the guy can look, and all of a sudden he sees the army of God surrounding the Syrians. And, and then you can I imagine Elisha is just like, just went to sleep again. He's like, this is not a big deal. So then they kind of come in, and Elijah, as they start charging him, he's like, well, now what? And you Elijah go, uh, Elisha goes, I'll just blind them all. And then they just can't see. So then they lead them right into the capital, to Samaria, and they're surrounded. Then he goes, okay, now bring up their light eyes again. And then they look, and then they're surrounded by Israel's army. And they're like, should we kill them? He's like, kill them? We let them in here like this. Like, give them some food, send them home. And the reason I say that it sounds kind of funky is the second guy is going to be all about seeing and it starts, the first thing he's going to see if it's the same guy, we'll see, is he sees just a tiny, a tiny, a tiny little cloud boat. What could, what could, could that do? Please hear me in this. We need this kind of face. It's one thing to see something and say it once and it doesn't seem to come to pass. I'm like, well, maybe I was wrong. So you look again. But to have the faith to send somebody to look seven times, and six of those times they're like, nope, things have not changed. But God wants the overflow. How about now? You know, you're driving me mental with this asking thing. No, I'm being honest. What about now? I genuinely, look at, I know what's happening. I hear God's word is speaking into me right now, and he's telling me this is going to happen. I trust him. His word says this, and I believe it. 
Well, I don't know. Okay, I see this tiny little thing. He goes, well, then you better get ready. So he said, go see the Achav, prepare your chariot, and go down before the rain stops you. We leave Carmel with conviction. We don't live there. Now, what happened in the meantime, that the sky became black. Now, I don't know how far they were from Achav, but he saw this, this tiny little, tiny little cloud like a man's hand, and now the entire sky is turning black. And you're like, you said it was going to be like lots of rain. And I see like this little cloud. I mean, this is like a shade cloud at best. This isn't like rain cloud. It's a tiny little thing. And now it's like, oh boy. Meanwhile, it happened that the sky became black, the clouds and wind, and there was heavy rain. You know what heavy rain means, right? That's the kind where you can actually fear for your umbrella. So Achav rode away and went to Yezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Eliyahu, and he girded his loins and ran ahead of Achav to the entrance of Israel. Now, who wouldn't? Now, is this one of those scenes? I want to see one of these scenes. This is one of them. When we get to heaven, I'm like, God, do you have this on film? I just want to see this guy, hairy guy, like Captain Caveman, who's like, you know, with his, kind of curled up in a hair in a hairball, saying, I see, you know, it's when sunny, it's hot, it's sunny, it's hot, nothing, 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 nothing. Oh, there's a like tiny little thing. And he's like, well, you better get going because, man, it's coming now. And it's like, well, all of a sudden it's like, boom! And when it comes, you're like, I can't believe we ever doubted this. But we spent three and a half years with no rain. And then we looked six more times and saw none. We, saw, we didn't see a cloud anywhere. And God's like, look, it, do you trust me to listen to me? Because I want to clean your house because I want to pour forth the rain. And if you're willing to do that, I'm willing to transform you. I'm willing to make you someone that thirsty souls will come around because I want them to go, man, I want that. And then they'll look at you and you will forever be a part of their testimony because of that. But for that to happen, God's going to take you and he's going to chisel and he's going to smelt, he's going to crucible it. But then ultimately... He's going to house clean, man. He's going to get rid of, oh, what in your life or in my life am I holding on to in my house that just does not belong there? Because somehow it's somehow trying to put me first instead of God first. Because to be honest, God wants that out so he can pour forth the rain. Aren't you thirsty? Aren't you tired of it? Tired of being dry? Because he really wants to pour forth this. As we go to prayer, I want to give this sort of trailer of coming attractions. I like to do this when I'm going to be gone for a little bit. Because the same guy that did all of that amazing stuff, look at verse 19, chapter 19, verse, the first three verses. Achav told Jezebel about all that Elijah had done, how he had executed the prophets, remember that, with a sword? And how tired would a man be? Anyways, and Jezebel sent a messenger to Eliyahu saying, let, So let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as one of them by tomorrow about this time. In other words, you killed 400, I'll kill you. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. This guy 
is going to have this threat happen. And the same guy who stood against all the prophets of Baal, the same one who stood against the king now twice to kind of crawl into his grill, the same one who stood up and told the whole, all the people, you better start making a choice, is the same one who's going to flee like a little girl in the first three verses of the next chapter. Well, what happened? Well, you'll have to wait to find out. Let's get back to our text and close this. It started in a very dry situation. For three and a half years, there's been no rain. That's a threat of fire because everything is dried brush at best. Now the ground is starting to crack and become dry. And when much of Israel are ready, the Negev is desert. You really don't want that expanding. And so you kind of look and you're like, man, I don't want my life to be dry and lifeless and just that place where people look and go, who wants to be there? You know, I don't want my life to be that. I want it to be overflowing. I want it to be like Eden. I want people to look and go, man, how do I move into that? And I could tell them it's Jesus, man. Jesus did all of it. And I want that to be the case. Well, then God says, well, then let me clean you out. Give me permission for search and seizure. Let me go through your house and just clean everything in your life. And when I start pulling stuff out, stop fighting me. I'm going to do it because I love you because I want to fill that instead with the overflow so that now people look and go, man, I see Jesus in you. That's what he wants to do with us. The issue is just whether we're willing to let him. So as we go to prayer, the same God who sent his son to die on the cross to pay for those sins and rights wants to put us in this process of turning us into a person who is a world changer. You, you, you. You're like, I'm not much of anything. Well, and I'd say, well, then maybe you're like a cloud the size of a man's fist. It doesn't probably appear to be threatening. And yet God can take that same thing and turn it into a whole monsoon. The only difference is that thing was entirely in his hands without a will. You are in his hands with a will. And if you give God that choice, what if he made you that thing now? And you became like Storm and Norman. You came flying into this thing and you took the arid world around us that is desperate for hope and is starved to death for peace and it's completely vacant of any kind of salvation. Uh, and, and yet, you go into that place, and the rain comes, and the whole world changes. And that same dry and, and lifeless and life-sucking place becomes this beautiful garden. And the only difference was is the rain had to come from somewhere. It came from a cloud, and God wants to use you. I find it interesting that when Jude speaks about false teachers, he calls them clouds without rain. It's like they give all these big fancy promises, but they don't even pour forth anything that really makes a difference to the world. Don't let that be you. So as we go to prayer, what if God did that tonight? What if we ask God to overflow like that? Well, pray with me, would you? God, I want to thank you for this beautiful word and all that you're doing in it. Lord, please, right now, work in our hearts. Give us that desire to let you clean them out and bring us to a state of overflow, Lord, for the rest of our lives. And Lord, as Dan comes up to finish this prayer, I just want to thank you for his faithfulness and I pray that he would operate in the overflow the entire time that he serves this precious flock for the next few weeks. Thank you, Lord, so much for what you're doing there. So Lord, please, Give us ears to hear. Before we start looking for how you're going to do it, give us ears to hear your word right now. 
Yeah, Father, we want to thank you, um, Lord. We thank you for um, for men like Elisha, Lord. Um, uh, for men that you've used throughout history, Lord. And, and we thank you um, that you call us to, to be part of that same faith, Lord. To be a part of that um, same family. And, and Lord, um, and we thank you, Lord, that you would even desire to use us, Father. Um, so, yeah, we pray, Lord, that we would be willing to listen uh, like Elijah was. Uh, willing to follow um, where you would call us, Lord. Um, willing to make a stand in those moments where you call us to stand, Lord, and that we would be willing to listen, Father, and that you would you would give us the faith, Lord. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, that um, as you remind us, even in, in the New Testament, that uh, Elijah was was just a man, um, and we just like him are just just people, just men and women, Lord. Um, and yet, Father, you desire to use us just like him. Um, so, Lord, we pray, Lord, that we would we would overflow and Lord that um, through our lives or that you would um, bless uh, and bring water and bring uh, life to those who we come into contact with Lord in, in a very dark world and um, so Lord looking at, ahead to the, to the weeks ahead Father um, may you be with PT um, as he goes to the States Father may you use him to uh, bring refreshment to those he, he gets to, to minister to Father and Lord, um, for us uh, in the UK, Lord, as we uh, continue in London, Father, as, as your word continues to go forth and ministry continues, Father, we pray, Lord, that um, you would work through us, Lord, and that you would bring refreshment and life to those who we encounter um, as well, Jesus. Um, so we lift all these things up to you. Uh, in your name we pray. Amen.